Warning, this podcast has stories of real-life events and true crime that happens every day. These stories may contain adult language and graphic or disturbing details not suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. In our society, most people are content to go through their daily lives safely and peacefully. But our society is not always safe or peaceful. For that reason... Some men and women answer a higher calling to defend and protect their fellow man. You probably know someone who is one of these people, or maybe you are one of these people. The ones who see and do the things most people would never want to. These things are sometimes heroic and beautiful, but often they are horrific and terrifying. It's these things they don't share about with other people. It's these things they carry with them, so you don't have to. But when they get together, they talk to each other about them. And they call these stories War Stories. Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, we are back with this week's episode. Uh, it's it's going to be an interesting one, um, especially in light of uh, our first guest corner that we've had on. We've got another corner on. Yeah. I'm from a totally different area, but uh, speaking of corners, I actually, um, if you're watching or if you're listening to this after we've recorded it, you can go on our social media and try and find the post. Um, but uh, that video of the pursuit that was making the rounds of the motorcyclist that uh, basically uh, hit another car turning left in front of him at about a hundred miles an hour. Oh yeah. Um and so we we were watching that and we were joking. I jokingly tagged her in the video. I'm like, you want to take bets as to how like how massive those in like what was wrong with him? I'm like, because I'll I'll go dead, dead right there, dead. And then, of oh, course, subsequently, you and I saw the video that got uh, leaked somehow from one of the business owners that had uh, CCTV or security camera footage right in front of his store where the guy came to a, a rest on the sidewalk. And it's. It's pretty clear that um, he's a rubber chicken at that point. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that it got leaked because he, everybody does stuff for likes nowadays. So they're just yeah. like, ooh, ooh, that was a that mm, yeah. viral. <laughs> and you own that store. You're like, oh, I bet you I have that on the security camera. And then you check the security mm-hmm. camera. And sure enough. Yep. But anyway, we have uh, we have our guest this week is Brian. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you know, of course, anytime. Um, it's kind of interesting. We started off, we were doing uh, police and firefighters and veterans, and we ended up, you know, expanding it to nurses and and then all of a sudden, you know, like corn and it we've all, you know, it's it's very similar. We all experience um the just terrible human tragedy, and we call it Thursday. So welcome yeah. to the show. I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, a hand in hand relationship. Everybody kind of sees the same thing in different aspects of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, tell us kind of how you ended up. Um, you, tell us your story, how you ended up being, being a coroner. I mean, sure, we've, we've sure. interviewed one coroner and we kind of got her story, but she came on at a weird time. When did you, you know, how long you've been on? Um, I've been doing this approximately four years now. Um, I got started in it late. Um, I happened to some of my background. So my dad was a firefighter paramedic, um, for the local uh, city department here. Um, and he ended up getting divorced from my mom and remarrying a trauma nurse at the hospital, like a lot of firefighters do. Um, and yeah, not, so that's not yeah. unheard of. <laughs> no, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I spent a good portion of my childhood. Um, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, physiology textbooks, anatomy textbooks in the house. Um, so I'd always be thumbing through those. Um, and I didn't really want to be on the same career path as my dad, just cause I saw how it affected him. Um, we have a lot of train fatalities in our area. Um, and I, those really uh, affected him a lot. And I didn't really want to take that same path. Um, so later on in life, yeah, I, uh, the train always wins. Yeah. Always 10 out of 10 wins. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I 
went about doing other career paths and um, I was approached by somebody that works in my office now. And uh, they pretty much said, you know, I think you'd be really good at this. Um, You should study for it and approach our coroner. Um, So in our state, there's not um, statutes for what the requirements for training are. Um, So I, did some online courses um, and read through like kind of the national standard of what the, um, the national standard of how death investigation should be done. Um, and I approached our coroner and he gave me extremely part-time hours and a bunch of on the job training. Um, and that's kind of how I got my start in it. Um, and, you know, plenty of courses later, um, I'm pretty proficient in it. Now I'm the chief deputy. Um, and so I'm under the elected coroner. Um, so I handle daily operations of the office, training, scheduling, that type of thing wow. on top so, of working the predominant amount of hours. I work a 96 hour rotation. So I work 96 hours on 96 hours off. Is wow. the coroner that's elected, is he a medical doctor? Or is uh, no, um, uh, she is not. Um, she is uh, she has a degree in forensics and mortuary science. Got it. Okay, so she's okay. a mortician and a, a crime scene investigator. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's good enough to be a coroner yeah. in my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of yeah. similar how it is in certain other parts of the uh, the, the country. Yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of different yeah. systems to it because it's such an old an old way of doing things. You know, some have state. Um, state medical examiners that right. oversee the office the of the like virginia has a, mm-hmm. a commonwealth medical yeah. examiner correct and yep. massachusetts right but, yeah. but let's be fair the state of virginia is probably <clears throat> you know close to the size of la county so <laughs> right like, exactly when you yeah. compare mm-hmm. you know things like that you kind of have to realize like okay you're comparing la mm-hmm. county against a state not la county mm-hmm. against another county yeah, how many how many residents are in LA County as a like whole? You know, well, it's Ooh, what millions. four million just in LA City, right? Okay, so, yeah, something like it's it's there's millions, um, yeah, millions. I mean, yeah, in in just LA City alone, in, in a city, you have yeah, LA City is four, four million, like, just LA City, and then uh, Greater Los Angeles County is eighteen point eight million. Whoa. Uh, which if you extrapolate that let's see let's just let's just have fun with this what's virginia's state population probably like the virginia population 1.2 million 8.6 million people oh. in the state of virginia so this should I, and i'll tell you one thing i didn't recognize or realize is the when i moved uh, is a lot of people who've been listening to this podcast for a long time. No, I just moved last mm-hmm. uh, last year. Uh, the lack of understanding of the size of Los Angeles County alone is is one of those things where I you talk about how big it is to people, and they're like, "Wait, you you drive three hours and you're still in it?" And I go, mm-hmm. "Yeah, yes, that's bananas." Yeah. I have so, no desire to live and or work in anywhere that populated. No, thank yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so in your system, it's similar to, for I'll, I'll give you uh, the county I worked in was not LA County. They had the sheriff coroner. So the sheriff was the elected coroner. Um, and then the sheriff hired a medical examiner who was mm-hmm. an actual medical doctor, pathologist, whatever. Uh, and then every deputy was a deputy coroner. So, Okay. There was no separate job for it. Now, sure. there's there's other counties. For example, Los Angeles County, they have the L.A. County coroner, who is a separate entity, mm-hmm. and then they have deputy coroners that are separate than deputy sheriffs, and they do a different job. Sounds that like that's more your model, is that? Um, so ours is separated from law enforcement completely. Um, we have our county sheriff's office and then our office, the county coroner's office. And so we investigate all deaths with throughout. Um, but yeah, there it's a, it was a separation of powers. So yeah, it's similar to LA. So very similar. I mean, just mm-hmm. on a much smaller, smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But, but even then, 
in LA County, the LA County coroner's office is very small. It's not very big. Sure. Right. To how much that they actually have to do. I mean, I've heard stories of people waiting four hours, five hours for a corner to get there. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wait for an investigator. And then the investigator takes a while to get out there. You could, and I've heard stories of holding scenes for, you know, 12, 12 12 hours. Hours, you're like yeah. what the heck <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so um it's so not for that, you what's your yeah what's your response time um typically we try to keep it within an hour um unless we're out on something else so i mean maximum is usually two and a half three hours and you're you're kitted out to take possession of the remains and all that stuff yeah yep mm-hmm. okay yeah. No. So it's, <clears throat> well i only ask because in our county the Corn, the deputy coroners had to call they were contracted with the local mortuaries because the sheriff's department didn't maintain any equipment to take possession of or handle by. sure sure yeah we're in the we're similar to that so um we we have a local company that will um come do our removals for us but i carry all of my investigative supplies in my vehicle um, and from anything from you know um toxicology kit to privacy screens you know we we carry a good amount of equipment um but typically we have an entire scene kit yeah yeah and typically our the coroner's offices in smaller areas like this you know they have the smallest county budget you know it's an afterthought it's a formality for a lot of places bodies Mm -hmm. i mean right (laughs) just now let me ask you this did did covid change anything with response times or things like that, because yeah. with, mm-hmm. with where I was working and where I want to work there. But um, when I was working during COVID, uh, there were certain times where you'd go to a, a death investigation. And they're like, no, we're not coming out. Is there any signs of foul play? No, we're going to go and do the investigation because we're so busy with a lot of deaths. We're only going to respond out to the mortuary. And then if we think it's foul play, then we'll put a hold on the body and, and whatever. And I'm like, that's crazy. And they're like, all right, just just uh, tell the family that uh, wait for the wait for the mortuary and you guys can uh, unask the scene and leave. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we will still respond to scene deaths, um, but we pretty much stopped going to the hospitals um, unless it's something that's going to be autopsied. Um, so, you know, we would respond to the ERs for um, like sudden unexpected deaths if they were less than 24 hours, if they've been admitted for less than 24 hours. Um, we stopped doing that just for contamination purposes. Um, so we, we do some cases now more over the phone, but we still respond to scenes. Anything so went, out, out of hospital death. So you went from going to the coroner and asking him to give you hours so you could learn the job to being the elected coroner's deputy coroner or deputy yeah, chief, chief, deputy. Yep. chief deputy. Yep. Yep. So um, tell, I mean, how, how is that? I, I'm totally curious to know what, what that's like for you and what your story is. So, so the floor is yours, man. What's your story? Okay. Um, so I'm going to tell a story of probably one of the most comical things that's ever happened to me and it's semi gross. So it'll be fun. Well, uh, um, listeners of this podcast will know <laughs> yeah. that uh, Chuck may, may throw up in his mouth a little bit, but he will not quit. He will stick yeah, to yeah. the story and okay. we love fun and gross. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I. Okay. The uh, wood chipper, the lobster claw, the, um, yeah. Firefighter who had to take the man's skin off of him. I can only think of a couple off the top of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I was called to a death in a home in a suburban area um, in the middle of summer. Uh, I'd say it was about July. And uh, I was told over the phone by the officer that was on scene he he pretty much i had a really poor connection when he was talking to me or i was doing something and he was talking pretty quietly and he's like yeah we have a gentleman that has uh passed away and it appears that his dogs has ate his back end and i like yelled in the phone i said what did you say and he goes the dog has (laughs) eaten his ass it's like all right that's what i thought you said Um, Uh, all right i'll be there yeah yeah (laughs) so uh it it didn't take me very long to get up there i wasn't really doing anything that day so uh (laughs) Uh, ass. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a very quaint quiet neighborhood in this 
pretty affluent town. Um, you know, like old fifties style, like Sears and Roebuck houses that you'd, you know, buy out of a catalog, not like post-war era houses. Um, so I meet the officer outside and he's standing outside, which is always usually a pretty bad sign for me. Um, you know, their definition of bad and mine very greatly, you know, what they consider terrible might just be, you know, a Tuesday for right. me. Um, so, uh, as I'm walking up to the door, you know, Hey, how you been? And, uh, he goes, all right, so I got to tell you some things that are going on inside. It's like, okay. He goes, yeah, well, right, okay. so he goes, we got the dogs out of the house. I was like, all right, well, how many were there? And he's like, there's like four and they're all ankle biter size. I was like, all right, how bad did they get at him? He's like, ah, not too terrible. And I was like, okay. And I go to grab the doorknob and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you go in there, there's a live falcon in the house. Oh. wait hold on before we get to the balcony because now i'm all i'm i was i was already all in uh i just want the listeners to understand that uh none of this idea or concept of your animals eating your dead body sounds weird to chuck or i uh and and anybody who has done this job for any longer than five minutes will know that one of the first things you get with an unattended death with pets is they fucking eat you first. Yeah. Cats, so eat cats your face usually. Off. Yeah. Cats yeah, usually. They eat the parts that stick out. They eat your fingertips. They eat the mm-hmm. tip of your nose. They eat your yep. ears. So yep. like, if you think I'm, I'm just telling you, that's it reminds you me of animals and you die by yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm a firm believer. That's why cats bite you in the middle of the night. Just to test, just to see, just how to test oh to see if you're still alive. Cats are fucking crazy. I had one yeah, for man. a little bit that I, I, I adopted. <laughs> And this motherfucker would come and attack you in your sleep. And I'll, what the fuck? Boom. And, and yeah. it attacked my, my wife when we were dating, <laughs> jumped on her fucking head and started like fucking going. Rah, rah, rah. And yeah. she fucking, I grabbed that thing. And I was like, huh, get the fuck out of here. The thing was psycho. Yeah. And then I, I listened to the, <laughs> oh, I, I make sense. And I listened to the episode and I'm sure Tom has, and I don't know if you have, but of Joe Rogan on the um, vegan cat. Mm-mm. Oh, it's mm. this is whole episode that he does stand up on vegan cat. Uh, okay. It's funny. You can look it up. But he to. talks about how cats aren't supposed to be vegan. They're fucking predators. They're, no, you they're crazy. That's they're, they're savages. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah. cats are scavengers. Face off. You're, they're not right. even it, as far as you people in California. You can't even own one. Like if you say my neighbor stole my cat, I can't take that theft report because cats are not property. You can't own a cat like it's it's considered a wild fucking animal the cat gives less of a shit about you than anything else you know you just happen to have a house that it can hang out in cats are mean anyway anyway so we're we're, so (laughs) this guy we got to go back to this falcon damn so okay you've got uh, now you've you've got the dogs i'm surprised the falcon didn't take care of the dog problem honestly (laughs) you would think so so all right well i'm gonna m night Shyamalan here so uh, I was like, so I had my hand on the doorknob as he goes, there's a live falcon in the house. And I said, is it in a cage? And he goes, no. And so I just took my hand off the doorknob. And as that, as he said that, I was like, are you, what do you expect me to do? Like, where is it? He goes, I don't know. The last <laughs> time I saw it, it was in the kitchen. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is a new one. So about that time, his lieutenant rounded the corner and he goes, did you tell him about the kestrel? And I was like, okay, Wait, is it a kestrel or is it a falcon? Because one's the size of a beer bottle and one is two feet tall. Right. <laughs> so what are we dealing with here? And the officer's just like, dude, I don't know my fucking birds. It's a bird and it's dangerous and scary. And it's like, all right. And the lieutenant's like, it's a kestrel. I don't know where it is, but it's going to die yeah, bombing. Cause, Just cause be aware of it. That's a huge, for, for, that's like mistaking a little, uh, uh, kestrels oh, are like tiny. It. Yeah. No, yeah. It's like a little mini peregrine falcon. Like it's even yeah. smaller. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's like the little baby owl size, you know, it's a little tiny yeah. thing. Yeah. Still, like, okay. I like, wasn't I get... super thrilled about going in there, but sure. I was a but lot a more comfortable. Between a falcon yeah. <laughs> with, with two inch talons yeah. and the ability to take your scalp off. Yeah. Right. And this yeah. little bird that, okay, well, it's yeah. still got sharp claws and a sharp beak, but right. 
right. manageable. I mean, it's not a it's not a cassowary. I mean, right. <laughs> it's pretty looking. Yeah, they're, they're very pretty yeah. birds. Anyway, so I um I ease my way through the front door now because I'm tiptoeing around like I'm trying not to disturb it. And there is statues of kestrels and falcons all over the house. So I don't know which one is actually the bird. And there's <laughs> no light bulbs in here. He can camouflage himself wherever he wants. <laughs> yeah. like exactly. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Was, Everywhere you look. Yeah. 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 This is, is going to be in my obituary. So, yeah, I was like, okay, well, they told me where I was going. So I make it there. And the whole, so this bird has been living loose in this house for however many years. So the floor has a nice coat of bird feces oh. all over it. Um, oh, and there's perches, like wooden perches in front of all the windows. So it has somewhere to go. So I make my way through the house and I'm kind of like assessing what I'm getting myself into here. And the cleanest room I found to set my gear bag down was in the bathroom. It appeared that that was actually well kept. So I like take my camera out of the bag and I get all my stuff ready and I go into the room and yep, sure enough, like pretty much the birds and dogs had ate most of both of his butt cheeks. Is a, the best way to put it. Both of his butt cheeks were gone. Um, and he had been down for approximately a week. So, oh, you know, you've got in the summer. Yep. Skin <laughs> slippage, discoloration, mm-hmm. you know, the, whole, the whole nine yards. Uh, so he, uh, to be honest already. with you, yeah. So <laughs> the, the bottom of him was the color of an eggplant, I'm sure at this yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to be honest with you, him being deceased is the least interesting part of this entire story. Well, first of all, the the insanely ninja falcon (laughs) room was was already more interesting than just a dead guy. Was this guy was this guy a fucking uh, like a like a superhero like peacemaker where he has an eagle best friend named Eagly? Because this motherfucker is keeping a goddamn falcon in the house like peacemaker. No, it's it's not quite a falcon. Yeah, (laughs) so his miniature pigeon falcon. (laughs) Yeah. So he was in pretty poor health as a person, and he had sold all of his falcons. Um, and this was yeah. pretty much like his end of life pet okay. to say, like he wanted a, a predatory bird to have, but having a falcon is quite a bit of work from what I was told. Um, so it's like if you have wolves your whole life growing up as pets, and then you get a pug, you get a yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you get like a, a, a little Siberian husky at the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> Mini husky. yeah, yeah, yeah. A little so, guy. You know, I do my ring. my typical death investigation with him, and um, I start trying to look for like identification. You know, anything that would lead me to a cause for why he is the way he, that he is. Um, our medications, you know, we typically gather all the medications off a scene, take them, log them into inventory, dispose of them later. Um, so I'm looking for some of that stuff. So there was a bedroom right off of his and I opened the door and there's about 75 to a hundred pot plants and Dixie cups under lights. <laughs> so I just kind of like, it's a little know, known fact, the American Kestrel loves pot plants. <laughs> That's what they're made for. So, so he, I just kind of like opened it, looked at it, (laughs) shut the door and turned around. And at about that time, the Lieutenant walked into the house and he's got a hacksaw in one hand and like a box of industrial sized garbage bags. (laughs) And so I kind of chuckled. I was like, are those for all the weed pants? plants in the bedroom? And he goes, Oh, there's some in the fucking bedroom too. (laughs) It's like, I thought he was going to Dexter Morgan this I dude. thought he was going to yeah. chop the body up. I'm like, how yeah. big was this dude? And he's like, he's like a very stern, high and tight type of guy. He has no sense of humor. He's very dry. If the um, department wanted me to have a sense of humor, they'd have issued me one. You you got it. So okay. does he have a high and tight or like a, like oh, a yeah. flat top? Oh, yeah, a hair yep. hat. You got like, it. Yeah, he, yep. he pulls you shaved. over. You're getting a yeah. fucking, you're ticket. Getting a fucking yeah. ticket. Yeah, middle school football coach. <laughs> like he's gonna go over. through. He he knows the vehicle code. He's gonna go through the fucking from top to bottom your entire car. If there's a fucking tail light at a place, you're getting a ticket. Oof. That same lieutenant ran my plate when I showed up to a death scene because he thought I was a suspicious person. 
And then he realized who I was. So anyways, and um, you're still a suspicious person. You're just a suspicious person that he knows. You know it. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, what are you, where are you taking those bags? If it wasn't for the pot plants in the bedroom and he goes, Oh, we'll come down into the basement. And the whole basement was a grow room. So wow. he probably had, I don't know, 70, 80 plants that were about four feet tall. Oh, wow. uh, and he had ventilation out the side of the house and like a hydroponic system set up. And uh, it, was, it was pretty impressive. No wonder uh, the dogs ate him. They had the fucking munchies. Right. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm going through this dude's cabinets in his house trying to find medication. Typically, people keep it either in their bathroom, their bedroom, or the cabinets in their kitchen. At the the places they frequent. <laughs> so I start going through the cabinets and there's no food in there. All it is is vac sealed bags of pot with the date that he harvested it and the strain oh that God. he had made. <laughs> like cabinets full. Like I felt like I was at Willie Nelson's house of just open. It's like just it's just more pot. There, We're expecting to open a cupboard and find Snoop. Hey, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, sorry to hear. Yeah. So um they're cutting down pot plants and um I'm trying to find medication in this guy's house and I finally in the in the living room um was a cigar box and there was a SIG 320 sitting on top of it. And I was like, ah, it's either cash or gonna it's gonna be medication. So I take the gun off of it, open it up, sure enough, there's all his meds. I was like, all right. So I grab all those out and I start putting them in a bag and I flip the lid down and the cash I mean, roll. The, the SIG P320 couldn't have been associated with the copious amounts of marijuana in that house. No, no it was probably unrelated. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so as I shut the box and it thumps, the kestrel flies from like two feet to my right. It was sitting <laughs> on a stack of magazines in the dark in the corner. And it flies over Watch the top you. of me and it takes my my hat off of my head. So I <laughs> hit the ground to buzz the tower. Yeah. Yeah. So I hit the ground and then, you know, I'm bitching about somebody, obviously not me, shitting in my pants. So <laughs> uh, shit in my pants. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's funny is that if you said that bird lived out of its cage in that house for like six years or seven years or something, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Do you know how fucking much that bird probably had that maneuver dialed in. He probably did that to that old man, like whenever he was pissed off at him and shit. Yeah. Like, you motherfucker, I'm gonna take your head. Yeah. Like that yeah. bird, he's like, what's yeah. this bitch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then I at least had an eye on him of where he was located and he flew into the kitchen. So he's like sitting behind the curtain, like showing me half his face, just giving <laughs> me the dead eye of not blinking and being a bird, which is terrifying in itself. So I was like, all right, well, at least I know where he is. So about that time, I had finished up and kind of gone back to where I had staged all my gear in the bathroom. And uh, the funeral home was arriving. Uh, the dude had died of natural causes. So it wasn't anything that was really suspicious. He had a pretty lengthy medical history. So you lost a lot of blood out those butt cheeks. <laughs> All post-mortem. Oh, I know. <laughs> so um, I was like, all right, well, so I'm outside because not only is it uh, summertime and it's a decomp scene, I also don't want to deal with, you know, the asshole with wings inside. So um, I'd just gone outside and I was talking to a couple of the patrolmen and I'd come back in to kind of pack up my gear and take it out to my car before the funeral home arrived. What I didn't realize is that in that time, the Kestrel had moved into the bathroom and he was sitting on the shower curtain. Um, so now I'm, you, between, yeah, now I'm in between <laughs> him and his only exit out of the room. So a repeat of the living now. room. Yeah. <laughs> Same <laughs> thing. And that here. one got me. That one got me. Took my hat off. I hit. Um, I, I'm sure I yelled like a little girl, but. On my way down to the floor, as I tried to dodge him, I hit my head on the uh, vanity in the bathroom. And I didn't knock myself out, but I had a pretty nice linear bruise across my forehead for like two and a half weeks. 
of almost knocking myself out. Man, you almost invented time travel right there. All because of this fucking <laughs> That's a bird joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, I, you know what though? I, that's hilarious because because dealing with pe- pets, and I I cannot I cannot imagine it dealing with pets, especially people that have exotic pets. You go to a scene, giant snake. You go to a scene, they have like a capybara in their living room. Like it's just mm. sometimes yeah. you never fucking know. Anyway, you'd rather deal with a snake, um, like going having a snake shotgun. in a house as long as it's in the cage. Yeah. I had went. I had went to one house one time, and the dude had like a ton of spiders and some snakes. No, nope. um, but the biggest, <laughs> the biggest cage <laughs> in the house was empty. But it mm, looked okay. like it was being used, and I was like, "What? Why? What was in there? What was, was it? What's well, yeah. supposed to be in there? <laughs> and where is it now? That's what matters right. to me. That's the big <laughs> Yeah. So. so this fucking asshole takes your hat and gets by you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And he fucks off. And I don't know where he went. So uh, by that time, the funeral home had arrived. Um, we got him packaged to go there. And uh, about that time, uh, a fella, some fella that deals with birds showed up like smoking a cigar and just walked in the house and put it in a cage <laughs> and off he went. And I was like, that was cool. He like, knew like fucking bird sign language. Yeah. He's like, your yeah. master is dead. Get the yeah. fuck in the cage. Right. right. Like here's a worm or a mouse. <laughs> Get in it. Yeah. In. And, uh, and, right. he, and he went in a way they went. And uh, after it was kind of all done and everybody had left, like a couple of the patrolmen and me were standing around. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Like that whole thing was crazy and they had no idea what had really taken place. When the Kestrel originally flew over the top of me, I heard like a muffled laughter from the basement as the Lieutenant was cutting all those pot plants down. (laughs) It had made like a pretty, they make a very unique loud noise. Oh, I'm sure it sounded Um, just like uh, the same sound you would make if you were screaming because a bird flew over your head. It probably sounds just like that. Yeah, about like that. Yeah. Uh, so. Hey, I'm on record as not one to fuck with a horse and got put down by a five foot two blonde lady who knew how to handle the yeah. horse that I was not going to fucking. Stand it's all about your comfort oh. level, right? Oh, fuck you with animals, what you man. know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, to backtrack a little bit, because I kind of forgot this part. And it was it was pretty funny. Um, so the only light source, like I said, was pretty much like a sliding glass door in the guy's Back, on the back side of his house. So I was there doing some of my paperwork just so I could, you know, jot some notes down. And I looked out the back window and his whole yard was just like those like two foot planter buckets that you'd buy. And there was about 30 pot plants that were about 12 feet tall. Oh, shit. So on top of all the crap that they had to take out of the house, I had called the LT over and I just kind of pointed out the window and he's like, dude, you got to be fist fucking me. Like, how am I going to cut those? I have this little <laughs> saw. <laughs> and he's like, what are you I can't. Stick a hand up and work me like a puppet? Yeah. What are you doing to me? Yeah. <laughs> he was just so mad at me by that point. I was like, what do you want? You can't leave I it can't. here. I mean, you so, can. <laughs> yeah. Earn it. Good. So, and his yard was awesome. It was set up for exactly what he wanted to grow pot and have birds. Pot, right? Yeah. I was gonna say it was so, probably the sanctuary for him. Yeah, yeah. It was like being at a zoo. I mean, there He's was a, a fence all the way around the middle. It. Yeah, he can stand on yeah. with a big mirror. He, he had look at in the mirror. He had like that bird predatory netting to actually keep predatory birds out, like you would when you at a pheasant farm. He had it over the entire yard, and then wow. he had. Uh, all his weed plants, so I'm sure his kestrel kept like varmints out of the yard that would be. Oh yeah, he probably had plant. the kestrel, so the kestrel wouldn't fly yeah. away, but then the, it would eat the mice and shit. Exactly. And pop food. Yeah, this guy's a genius. Yeah. So then he he ended up calling in like reinforcements uh, for just a van to be able to put all this pot in, um, <laughs> and most of it was bagged, but it looked like by the time they left, they had like jammed a bunch in um, all their they have explorers around here. So like most of their explorers, like the dudes on scene, it was just bags stuffed full of marijuana. It looked like if Snoop Dogg wrote the jungle book, like there was just (laughs) 
you couldn't even see through their back windows. And then they brought a van and filled that with all the big ones. Cause you know, like they're, they're like 12 feet tall. It was like hauling trees around and they had like four foot or four inch bases on them. I mean, they were, and huge. these little explorer teenagers are <laughs> like, can we go get tacos after this? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why right. I'm really hungry. <laughs> and I smelled like weed for hours after that. Like oh, yeah. I can go home and change, but we don't have like a locker room in our office. It's, it it's in like an administrative building. So I don't really have the opportunity. Like if I have to go home and shower, I have to go, I, you know, that's where I'll be drive home. And, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But uh, I had like a ton of meetings with like some of our county executives and like some of our higher ups <laughs> you later that day. Like weed. <laughs> weed and decomp. <laughs> So I smell terrible. You smell like Keith <laughs> like, Richards. <laughs> yeah. Like there's not enough gas station <laughs> cologne that right. you can buy. You get, the little, you get the little tree air fresheners. You're rubbing them under yeah. your armpits. You smell like a cab driver. Not that that's a bad thing. But yeah. Well, I mean, it is. Let's face it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. it was I, a we, wild. We did a, we did a pot bus like that where we get there and we're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta smash this dude's little pot farm. Cause he's doing his, you know, his neighbor said that they could see some pot plants above his fence. So we went to the neighbor's yard. We saw the pot plants, wrote a search warrant. We go there to, to smash this dude, but it was right after medical marijuana had passed in California. So we get inside and all of a sudden it's like, like you're saying, he's got one room for the sprouts, one room for the, the baby plants, one room for the immature, but you know, pot and then he had the backyard dude he had like 89 mature 10 to 12 foot plants in his backyard that wasn't counting all the stuff in his house we called the da and da's like all right he can have 10 mature and 12 immature plants so you let him go put an x on the 10 big ones that he wants and the 12 baby ones that he wants and then chop the rest down and we're like are you fucking serious like we're literally going to start counting marijuana plants being like, you can, ha- you are allowed these, these are, these are, this is fucking stupid. That's oh, yeah. that, that was the moment we lost the war on drugs. That was the moment. <laughs> so funnily enough, like everybody at first thought that the dude was kind of like a, a, a drug dealer, you know, or a oh. manufacturer. As well, you would definitely dude. Why not? Yeah. No, 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 he wasn't. Um, that's all personal use he has all those different strains and baggies and yeah so he had bags bags from like back in like this only happened a couple of years ago like i said i've only been on the job for four years but um some of those bags were from like 1997 this dude was afraid of the weed apocalypse that that wasn't even good no more yeah i think he just liked growing it i think he liked like botany you know (laughs) like i think he just enjoyed growing stuff my grandfather was a botanist and he would do some crazy shit with plants. And, you know, so I, I get that aspect, but that's a lot of like, okay, here, here's the only way. And I can tell you this from personal experience. Here's the only way that story holds water. I knew a deputy worked in Santa Barbara County and he would go walking past this, you know, this same neighborhood all the time, driving past it, whatever, because it was in his beat. And one day he drives past this little lady's house. She's out in her yard gardening. And he looks at the flowers that she's tending to. And he stops the car, jumps out, runs over to the yard and goes, lady, where the fuck do you get these flowers? She was tending opium poppies. Oh, shit. (laughs) She had gigantic red (laughs) opium poppies blooming in her front yard. And he goes, lady, lady, she's like, my gardening (laughs) club. He's like, what? And she goes, yeah, our whole gardening club got these seeds. And they were, they said, there's these beautiful red poppies. And so we all planted them in our gardens. And so this, this entire gardening club of old ladies was cultivating <laughs> opium in their front yard. That's fantastic. That's the only way I, I believe this right. dude could have been like just growing it ornamentally as if he's like, this yeah, is the prettiest plant. And it just grows so easily. I can't grow anything else, but somehow this stuff just grows and grows. Well, it's so essentially a weed. You know, it doesn't well, take a whole lot of work. From. Right. Exactly. Like there's parts of the United States where it just grows in the ditch. Hence the term ditch weed. Like, yeah, it's it, like I've seen it. <laughs> so it's it's just strange. But um, like I've been a, I've had a couple cases very similar to this without the birds involved where dude dies in his grow operation and you know, our drug enforcement group comes and breaks it up and takes all the equipment out of the basement and all the pot plants. And, um, 
it's happened. Like it's more common than I would have ever thought it would have been, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd say probably like six or seven times a year. I I come into a a house where there's 10 or more plants. Oh yeah. 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 It's super common now. Yeah. Seriously. It's more common. It's almost as common now to come into a house with plants after they're dead as it is to come into a house where there's a fucking weird animal after they're dead. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, it's more common for the pot than, than it is the weird right than the weird animal. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I have had good. The, those photos I sent you were in the last last um, uh, bus we did. Oh, nice. It was all illegal. It was a whole house. That was a whole house. Those are all different rooms. Damn. What Chuck just sent me a, a picture of an indoor grow, and it's it's all immature, but they're ready for it to to go. it's, yeah. it's almost there, man. It's crazy. And so, yeah, well, that smell is. Ugh. Well, before we get to our dedication, Brian, I wanted to uh, bring up Chuck has an email. And uh, so we thought, if you don't mind, he's going to read this email and we can uh, we can toss it around a little bit. Yeah, for sure. uh, It's from one of our listeners that uh, we've talked about a lot on the locker room and we talked to a lot on the locker room, but he had a question for War Story. So go ahead, Chuck. So this is from Duck Boy um, from Down Under. He's in Australia and he had a question regarding. the one percenter motorcycle clubs out here okay. um and um he goes hey mate seeing as you're a cop you know, you might be able to shed some shed some light on this uh do you guys in the united states have laws or legislation that help officers crack down on one percenters in those motorcycle clubs like we do over here in australia and i was like hey elaborate on that like what do you guys have over there because i obviously don't know um he goes uh, the laws vary from state to state which is a lot like the united states uh, but they can't they can't go into pubs wearing one percenter patches or clothing um, in some states. They can even ride wearing their patches as it's uh, they can't ride wearing their patches because it's an instant fine of four hundred dollars per item. Um, and so I was like, well, it's a little bit different in, in the yeah, United we States. have the First Amendment. <laughs> right. So you, you can fly colors. Um, now with gang injunctions and stuff like that, um, if, if your motorcycle club is listed as a gang and they have an injunction, um, in some States, uh, you're not allowed to, in certain areas, ride colors, uh, because you can get pulled over and stopped. But in like California, they used to have gang injunctions, but a lot of that stopped. And so it, it doesn't give you probable cost to pull someone over just because they're flying colors. Um, and I can tell you this in, in States, you know, a lot of patrol officers will not stop bikers or a group of bikers, especially if there's a vehicle falling behind, because one, you're outnumbered and two, you might get into a, a firefight that you weren't expecting, or it's just, they're carrying bad shit. And, and, you know, it's, it's a lot different out here where we can't just go and, and, you know, crack down on a group, like you're all flying colors. We're going to find you. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. They're very ruthless. And, and you would basically, because they're organized crime, if you wanted to take down a whole group, you would have to investigate them federally, uh, do a RICO case on them, and then try to shut down the, the club in general. But they're so well insulated and all over the place that those are very hard to come by. And there's numerous stories with the ATF, um, you know, trying to infiltrate biker clubs, uh, motorcycle clubs uh, that are one percenters and, and, you know, trying to get them on RICO stuff and murders and, and stuff like that. And it's been obviously they're still around. So you might get one or two on crimes, but as far as uh, a state legislature or uh, in, in all these different states to, to crack down, if you see them, it, it's almost non-existent and it can vary state by state, depending on the laws and, and injunctions they have set in place. But it, it's, it's, you know, the constitution and, and stuff, you know, protects people, you know, freedom of speech and, and stuff like that. And it, it's, it's very difficult to, to do any of any of that stuff. So, I'll knock down, obviously, on what all of what Chuck said. The First Amendment, <clears throat> in fact, what he was talking about, about the patches. Did you see the, the opinion by the judge that overturned the federal government's ability to seize the actual patches from the Mongols motorcycle? For those of you who don't know, Hell's Angels' biggest rival club is the Mongols, in at least in the United States. And the Mongols received an injunction against them that, uh, said they couldn't wear their own trademark logo. So the federal government at that point said, if you see somebody rolling around with the Mongo logo on them, you could stop them and seize it and take it and take possession of it. Well, judge struck that down and said, no, they couldn't in fact do that. Um, 
that they can pursue RICO statutes and all that kind of stuff against an outlaw motorcycle club, but they can't just ban someone from wearing an affiliation with something outright. Um, so there was like that. That's a whole issue against motorcycle clubs as far as, you know, like you were talking about the First Amendment. They can't do administrative things to, to necessarily bar them from just riding around identifying as a motorcycle club. Mm-hmm. You also got to understand something, and I don't know if it's the same in Australia, um, but in the United States, we have a difference between what's known as an MC or a motorcycle club and an OMG, which is an outlaw motorcycle gang. At least that's the law enforcement classifications for them. Motorcycle clubs, typically they have like one big patch or maybe two big pieces on their patch. But if you typically see a rocker, an image and a rocker, so a top rocker, which is a banner, and then an image of some kind, like with the Hells Angels, it's the skull with the wing. And then the rocker on the bottom that gives a location that's called the three piece patch. Any Sons of Anarchy fan knows what I'm talking about. It's a three piece patch that is indicative of being an outlaw motorcycle gang or affiliated with illegal activities. If you're wearing a patch like that and you don't have an affiliation with a bigger club, for example, if you're the Molochs MC and you rock a three patch, you know, cut and you're in hell's angels territory and you don't have the blessing of the hell's angels to wear a three piece patch. They're going to stop you. They're going to have words with you. And you're either going to come correct real quick and get affiliated or you're going to knock that shit off or they're going to make you knock it off. These are not nice people. Yeah, Um, I was just going to touch on that, too. Yeah. So that's kind of how when it comes to motorcycle clubs, you know, people that wear patches on their jackets versus outlaw motorcycle gangs, which are people that try to look like Hells Angels or Mongols and things like that. So the big thing becomes infiltrating right and i can speak to that only because when i was working undercover one of the guys i worked with and uh, i won't mention his name just because he's had issues over the years um but if you do the slightest amount of googling you can find out who i'm talking about he ended up having to sue the atf the agency he worked for he had to sue them because they failed to properly protect his identity he went undercover as a member of a quasi-realistic motorcycle gang that then affiliated themselves with an Arizona chapter of the Hells Angels. They then lived the sweet life, high on the hog, riding with the Hells Angels every day, doing Hells Angels stuff where he was allowed to break the law up to a certain point and do things with them. And he was doing so as the idea that he was a hanger on with another club. They then set up an operation where they knew the hell's angels were having trouble with a motorcycle club in Mexico. They went and jammed a dude up in Mexico, took his vest, then took an actual federal agent, dumped him in a ditch, threw a cut on him, shot a couple of bullet holes in it and poured some cow's blood on him, took a bunch of pictures of this agent lying in a ditch, pretending to be dead then went back to the Hells Angels with the cut that had blood and bullet holes and, t- and showed them the pictures of this dude dead in a ditch and told the head uh, of the president of this chapter in Arizona that they had taken care of the problem by killing this guy from this other motorcycle club that they were having beef with. And according to the surveillance video, and there's some debate, the agent was then taken into another room by the president of the club and they hugged and he gave him his own cut and patched him in right then and there as a hell's angel. It just got too dangerous for him to be undercover and they had to pull him out and take the whole operation down. Um, to this day, the hell's angels will say he was never a hell's angel. He never made it to be a member and he'll tell you bullshit. They fucking patched me in that night. Cause they, they knew they thought I had committed murder on their behalf. Um, those are the kinds of operations that, American cops have to typically launch um, to get into these groups because of, you know, issues like the first amendment and stuff like that. It's these, these long-term undercover operations with informants or undercover agents that then allow us to make cases like you're talking about, like Rico, where we can say that 
they do these crimes in furtherance of their group. Yep. And once you can say that, then the group itself becomes a criminal enterprise and you can arrest all of them. Right. And, you that. know, there's been it's it's really hard to be in a motorcycle club, um, especially in the United States, because there's been numerous incidents and accounts of uh, people having one patch or two patches and definitely the three where they're just dumb yeah. and they get they get stopped real quick. And they're like, you're going to patch in. We're going to take you over or you're going to stop or we're going to beat your ass. But there's been numerous times where, you know, you're there's a, a decent size club. that's just a bunch of people, you know, weekend warriors or they they not just weekend warriors, but it's their actual club. And they they do lots of rides. and It's, it's all the time. And, you know, those groups will see that and be like, oh, their numbers are big and they'll want to take them over. And then they'll basically proposition them and make them an offer that they basically yeah. cannot refuse. And you'll have some like, that will leave. Oh, you want to still be patched in. You're going to have yeah. to patch into <clears throat> us. You can't be your own club anymore. We're, we're right. absorbing you or we're shutting you down. That's their ultimatum. Right. So basically, if you want to have a, a, a motorcycle club, you're going to be rocking no patches, nothing like that. And there's a few mm -hmm. that have one patch that really don't get messed with, but for the most Especially part, like the Christian groups that are, you know, writers for yeah. Jesus and stuff like that. They tip because the, the bikers are like, nobody's going to mistake us for them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. But you, it's generally that you see those guys and there's little clubs and they're not rocking patches anymore because they don't want the shit. Okay. And I'll tell you. Um, so St. Patrick's Day uh, a couple years ago, it was it was actually a couple years after because everybody that listens to the show knows that the first shooting ever. My big critical incident when i had three years on the job was st patrick's day so years later i'm at the bar that i was supposed to be at on that st patrick's day and i don't know if you guys remember the brand lucky 13 but they yep they like made everything try to look like it was hot rod biker culture but vintage from like the 40s and 50s so i had a lucky 13 jacket at the time because after all it was the mid 2000s and <laughs> Uh, I was in a bar for St. Patrick's Day and I'm wearing my kilt and I've got my little revolver snub nose in my Sporan and I put my Lucky thir lucky 13 jacket on the chair and I'm sitting there drinking. I'm in an, an Irish pub at six in the morning on St. Patrick's Day with like seven other cops, right? And so I get up to go to the bathroom and when I come back, apparently while I was in the bathroom, one of the guys that was in the bar on the other side of the bar was part of our local three patch omg like they were hell's angels affiliated and so they thought they were tough guys while i was in the bathroom this is how serious they take it this guy looked at my lucky 13 jacket and then came over to our table and said hey when your buddy gets back i need to talk to him and they all kind of looked at him like what what for and he goes i need to talk to him about his jacket they're like, okay, we'll send him over. <laughs> Didn't even say anything. <laughs> so I come out of the bathroom and my partners are all sitting there like, hey, see that guy over there? And I went, yeah. And I looked at the guy and the guy gives me the head nod. And I'm like, I nodded back. I'm like, what's up? And they're like, he wants to talk to you about your jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, okay. what's up, bro? And he's like, yeah, so uh, so you, you, you member of a, you member of a club? What's up? You ride? What are, I'm all, it's a lucky 13 jacket, dude. Fashion jacket. It's like, well, it looks like it, it looks like you're repping another club and this is Moloch territory. So you need to turn that around. He was literally trying to make me turn my jacket around, not knowing who I was. So I politely showed him my badge and declined his offer to turn my jacket inside out. However, <laughs> <laughs> that is how serious they take it. They Can I tell uh, yeah. go ahead. No, uh, so uh we have like a local motorcycle gang that's not affiliated with any big ones. Um but over the years, so they've probably been around since like you know the 70s. Um they've always been like the Billy badasses of the area. You know, they 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 try to be really tough, you know, they have their local hangouts. Um, but then there's another club. Um, that's just a motorcycle club that's comprised of probably like 80% retired law enforcement officers that just mm -hmm. ride around and they yep. like, they like bikes. They're like, yeah, they were do. the motor, the motor cops. And, uh, the, those are the dudes. Yep. So, um, uh, the, the outlaw club, if you want to call them that was at like a local, um, 
one of the local dive bars and a couple of the of retired guys had been ride. They did like a benefit, you know, for like MS or something like that. And they had sure. stopped at a local bar and these guys totally just got like Hufflepuff, you know, like puffing up their chest, you know, getting all rowdy about yeah, it. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it ended up in the street uh, and um, as, as you would. And the, these are all retired cops. Just, just beat the tar off of these guys. <laughs> <And like, laughs> I mean, like, oh, I can imagine. And, you know, they, like, oh, they we just, haven't done this since retirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, it takes me back to the glory years. Good old fashioned Donnie wailing bro. on them. Yeah, yep. and uh, it, it made the paper. Uh, like <laughs> local um, outlaw gang tries to beat up retired cops or however it made it into the headlines. I'll and, tell you uh, what, in it, my it op- didn't go well. Oh, but it didn't. <laughs> in my office, I will routinely make jokes like, oh, man, you know what I really miss about being a cop? And they'd be like, what? And I'd be like, if you were in a bad mood one day at work, there was always somebody that you could arrest who was willing to fight you and it would cheer you up. And they're like, yeah wait what and i'm like yeah you know you're having a bad day you get into a fight cheers you up and they're like how's your day going today and i'm like not bad so far there's there's <laughs> always time left so i tell people every time but they ask me how's your day me. going that's going good but there's always time left you know still time. yeah that's I'm, what i I'm just started phone call how's your day from, you go there's still time i'm i'm one phone call away from a you know five gunshot homicide so yeah, exactly. <laughs> you never it know could, how. it could literally be any phone call yeah yeah exactly um <laughs> it's it's I, I i enjoy my job and like i said um you know i got into i i got into the ems side of things just to try to balance out all the death and depravity that i see in my daily work life um to just help people um and I and I would have never thought ten years ago that I'd be on a fire department. Um, so here we are, and I'm the assistant EMS director for my uh, township that I live in. And you know, I'm, I'm, I ended up joining the fire department too, more on the side of I think they're preening me for um, like a, a managerial role or captain or well, something administrative. But yeah, just because like. <sighs> Where I live is really rural in my county. It's probably the r- most like desolate part. And it's a lot of farmers. It's a lot of um, retirees. Um, our department's median age is probably like 55. And Ooh. there's not a lot of young people that live here. So um, the fact that, blood. Yeah, honestly, it's the fact that I can use a computer somewhat proficiently. Um, <laughs> everything the land is of digital. Blind, the man yeah. with one eye is. Oh my god! Yeah, you got it. So you're like, um, I know how to use Facebook. Yeah, yeah. I have so a smartphone. Damn it! I yeah. just have this and, flip phone still. Yeah, and all our reports are digital. And uh, like you know, I just I I like the leadership role type of thing. So it, it kind of transfers over. So um, it's I, I like what I do. Um, but you know, just like anything, you know, you get burned out and you got to have good hobbies and good support system. That's what I always tell people, man, have the hobbies, yeah. have the condo in Redondo, yeah. Yeah, have, this, have the, have your, have your friends outside of law enforcement. Have your yeah. Friends outside of the fire yeah, room. absolutely. People, they're you, the people, the, the locker room, you should hear it all the time. They're the people saying, oh, yeah. shut the fuck up. I knew you win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, dude, like just having people that have no but at the same time as i'm sure you know you start telling a story and you see the horrified look on people's faces like mm-hmm. what the that's fuck why we are have this talking show. about yep. yeah exactly <laughs> like you can't do that to everybody <clears throat> but my, my wife having, once asked my wife once asked me one time she was like i was like yeah she's what did you how's your day i was like oh, i went a few death investigations and we're rolling the car one day and she's like oh how many dead bodies have you seen i was like oh. she, i was like like this month this week right and she's like no, like ever, and I'm like, oh, fuck. oh I, don't I don't know. know. I was like, but I saw like you might as well ask me how many people I slept week. with. <laughs> <laughs> I At least I like can figure that number out. Yeah. Right. Right. I had like four in one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so I investigate, and I, these are probably like abysmal numbers compared to what the coroner, medical examiners up by you guys do. But like, 
Um, I think last year, so I work about half of the year, you know, I work four days on four days off. I think I did 500 scene investigations myself. That's a lot though. Yeah. That's still, that's, you know, like yeah. 10 a week. Oof, that's yeah. A lot. Yeah. yeah. And for only yeah. four days on, you know, yeah. that's right. two more, two and a half per day. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's good. enough. Well, Chuck, you have this week's dedication. I do. It's my understanding. I do yes. Um, <clears throat> so it's a it's a firefighter um, from St. Louis, Missouri, who died in the line of duty. Um, funeral arrangements have been announced for a St. Louis firefighter killed while battling a house fire Thursday. Benjamin Polson died while battering battling a fire at a two story brick building in the fifty nine hundred block of coat brilliant investigators say the roof collapsed as firefighters work to get out of the building. Polson has ties to the Springfield area. He attended Missouri state university and received his MBA at Drury university before joining the St. Louis fire department. Visitation services are set for four to 8 PM, January 19th at the Kudis funeral home. His funeral schedule is scheduled for 10 AM on the, uh, at the cathedral uh, Basilica of St. Louis. Friends described Polson as a person always willing to help others. He followed in the footsteps of his dad to become a St. Louis firefighter. Definitely one of those guys where I knew he was going to do something to want to make an impact in St. Louis, said Kevin Walsh, a history teacher at St. John Venani High School, where Polson attended. Polson joined the St. Louis Fire Department in November 2019. His father is retired uh, St. Louis uh, Fire Department captain. Uh, this kind of event weighs tremendously on the entire department, said St. Louis Fire Department Chief uh, Dennis Jankerson. Jankerson got emotional as he explained the last moments of Polson's life when he responded with Engine House 13 to a vacant house fire on the 5900 block of Coat Brilliant in North St. Louis Thursday. The initial 911 call indicated there were many victims inside. Anytime you have a building like this, the fire department is trying to make sure no one is inside. We want to save lives, lives, said Jankerson. The vacant home had previous problems with squatters. Fire crews battled the flames and decided to turn back when the flames got too intense. But as they were leaving, the building's roof and top story collapsed, bearing Polson. He died at the scene. A spokesperson for the St. Louis Fire Department says two other firefighters were injured but have since been released from the hospital. This incident is sobering reminder that the real dangers of our first responders face every day as they fight to keep our community safe, said Chief Ron uh, Batelli, executive director of the Backstoppers. Losing any first responder is a heartbreak for each of us, but we will make sure they are never forgotten. The rest easy, brother. We have it from here. You will not be forgotten. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, a rough Especially, one, man. That's a rough loss. Yeah, yeah. So rest easy, brother. We got it from here. Well, Brian, I appreciate you coming on. I I thought that story was hysterical. I I can <laughs> tell you, I Chuck, I, I'm sure I've have I told you the psychotic deer story. We'll have to save that for another time. I faced down yeah. the same deer three times in one night. I'm just saying, <laughs> too many times. Deer. Three t- same deer three times. Every time I had to kill him. Every time. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Chuck, we have, uh, we still have, we still have uh, hoodie jackets, will be hoodies left. Um, we do in, but limited sizes. So <clears throat> if you're in our, com- we did order common sizes. However, the most common large and extra large will probably have, you know, it's, it's dwindling on those. Um, yeah, I, but- I would get on there, um, grab some, uh, make shipping worth it, grab a t-shirt, um, you know, grab some stickers, grab some patches, um, and, uh, try to get these, these will be hoodies before they're gone. And, and you can get that on our uh, website. Um, and if you follow us on the socials, please do so. Um, if you don't follow us, if you do great, thank you. Click the link on the bio on Facebook or Instagram, and you can uh, email us, you can book a show. You can also have the link to our YouTube and our website, um, you know, warstoriesofficial.com, go in there, uh, support us, grab a Wooby hoodie. Um, it's got a genuine leather patch on it with our logo. Um, we have a shirt on there. We're going to have another shirt coming in the summertime um, or, t- or a tank top, or we haven't decided yet, but uh, it's pretty cool. 
Um, but uh, yeah, get on there, support us, help us, uh, help us bring you some some more content and, and get out there. And um, yeah, it's it's great. Help us out. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we've got some other ideas. Um, I've got this idea for uh, locker room beers where uh, we we've discussed going live. Um, where if some of you want to log in and uh, watch the live stream of us recording the locker room podcast, we might be able to do that. Um, obviously for reasons uh, of anonymity, we don't allow anybody involved when we do war stories, but uh, for the reasons of having a shitload of fun, we will do almost anything in the locker room. So stay tuned for that. We're going to have t-shirts coming and uh, until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.